You're listening to a preview of a premium episode of Champagne Sharks. To get access to this premium episode, as well as the full archive of back premium bonus episodes, go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Champagne Sharks and sign up for only $5 a month. For only $5 a month, you get this and every other premium bonus episode, meaning double the content. It's a great deal. And without further ado, here is the preview. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that you were talking about, about this uh, belief in American uh, exceptionalism, it's something that I don't think is even just limited to white people. Because I was watching Van Jones somewhere um, talking about um, Trump, and he just started kind of like uh, crying on the air with, uh, I think it was, who was it? It was Anderson Cooper. And he was crying because he was basically saying how this is not like what America is about. You know, all this racism is about Charlottesville. He said, like, I'm just hurt. And he was kind of crying about how this is not what America is about. And I was like, you're black in America. Like, this is all America is about. Like, what are you what are you talking about? This is. Uh... I, so that's a cliche that comes up a lot. And I have a I have a kind of um, I have a kind of cop out response to that because this is it's a very common twitter burn if you're on twitter long enough you sort of you sort of see the the different formulas of burns and there's basically like five of them and the, when someone says this is not who we are this is not america you can get fifty thousand retweets of saying this is exactly who we are because it's because it's true it is who we are the the i think where the what the what what the rub is or what the what the what the what the confusion is is that people who say this is not who we are i think most of the time generously are speaking in normative terms I think what they mean to say is this is not who we should be, and that normative uh, that normative expression gets gets warped into a, a descriptive one because it's framed as a descriptive one. But I think what they ought I think what they really mean to say is they're saying this is not who we as a people should be. Not historically, this is who we've been. Because of course, if you don't think that we are Charlottesville, I don't know what fucking rock you've lived under. Um, and so I think there's there's there when someone like Van Jones says this is like not who we are, I think it's an appeal to our better angels less than a descriptive claim that's my sort of generous read on that yeah my read on it is kind of similar but what i think is i think he's kind it's, it's of, a way it's it's, it's a way it's, it's a oh, sorry it's a way of like it's a way of appealing to like moderate white people mlk did this a lot right yeah. mlk would show up to like marches with american flags and talk about the constitution like it's it's speaking the language of your oppressor to kind of like appeal to their better angels it's a it's a form of liberal reformism but i it's it's an under it's understandable why people do it and it works because he understands who he's dealing with because one thing that i remember recently i was watching the martin luther king um speech at the uh, march on washington i think it's the one where he did i have a dream and something i noticed this time around that i never noticed before i was watching it on youtube and it's like the official clip has always shown and then at the most like loftiest part of the speech where he's doing mm -hmm. what you're talking about uh and i'm assuming this has to be either a white cameraman or a white editor or producer you know who was covering the segment but as the speech goes on the camera lifts off of like martin luther king and goes to the lincoln memorial you know uh abe lincoln statue on the chair 
and starts zooming right. in on that image as you know he starts talking about all the things uh, America should be. And I was finding it interesting that this is supposed to be about like black empowerment, black liberation, black equality, and you've made white people the cent and that American exceptionalism the center of the narrative, like that you choose to focus on Abe Lincoln instead of MLK's face. So yeah, I do think there is something about that, that you're right. That uh, normative mindset does uh, happen in the audience. But I also think someone like Van Jones, because that crying looked kind of sincere to me. I think it's partly that, but I also think, like to a degree, I think Martin Luther King didn't fully believe it. He just more kind of knew this is oh, yeah, no, who I'm who I'm dealing with. Whereas I think yeah, with, I, I think with Van Jones, he's kind of lied to himself. And he's I think that crying is a kind of cognitive dissonance. Like, you know, he's kind of saying this isn't who we are, but he's trying to convince himself as much as he's yeah. trying to appeal to someone else. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. I um yeah, I, I think that yeah, I think I think the sort of shifting from from patriotic tropes to like normative statements about our country is like a very liberal instinct and i think it's it's not it's not very helpful and it's also ahistorical but i i sort of see why certain people in certain contexts i mean in the you know progressives in the 1910s and 20s would talk about like you know or suffragettes would would constantly you know they would have american flags and talk about you know all men are created equal like it's it's you know the idea of like rejecting any kind of patriotic trope to make a point politically is a kind of a kind of a new idea. And I, and it's one I endorse because I, I do believe in decolonization as like an, I guess an ideological project. I, I think like it's, it's, you know, we should, we should rename Washington, uh, you know, after native American tribes as, as Garrison Keillor mockingly uh, suggested or ironically suggested yesterday. Like, I think that's a good project, but I also understand that like why certain communities will use that language in certain contexts historically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get why some people would, um, use that strategically it is a better way to go but i do also believe that a lot of colonized or oppressed people or even just liberals i think a lot of them really believe it like you see that with hamilton like hamilton is not yeah. about any type of political project like when you see all those like black people like cheering founding fathers they're not doing it to accomplish any political goal like they just really go in there and get happy to see uh george washington and um, and Alexander Hamilton doing a can-can line, like 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 somehow they they really enjoy it. So right, and one of the one of this is what Obama did really well. Obama like really pandered to this this white guilt thing by telling us that he because he always put his story in racism, or the rather the 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 amelioration or the solving of racism in the context of an American project as if it's part of like our linear progress towards justice, um, and that racism was some sort of you know, original sin that we can get over and not that it was axiomatic or fundamental to like the actual society itself. Um, and he was really good at, at doing this. And so is MLK. Right. And this makes, this makes white people, including at the time, you know, myself, right. It makes us feel good. Uh, and it does. So in theory, if you're doing it for, you know, for a, a noble political ends, I guess that's fine. But I, I think it's, um, it, intellectually, it's it's very incomplete and I think false, um, and I think that um, you know again you, you can look at African American progress under Obama, which of course is not a, by any means all his fault, but I think things like TPP, things like um, um, you know some of the some of the breaking teachers unions, these things are fundamentally bad bad for black communities. 
Um, But at the same time, you know, his National Labor Review Board did some stuff under the radar that was like pretty good in terms of wage protection. Um, So, you know, it was a mixed bag. But I think I think that, um, you know, the 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 need to appeal to some percentage of white people is like a is just a is a power in statistical reality right now, you know. Um, um, that's why that's why you throw Jeremiah Jeremiah right under the bus, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. I, I also think it's a shame he did it. Yeah, yeah, I think one difference too between Obama and Martin Luther King is Martin Luther King talked about a lot of different things. Like he was pretty overtly socialist and a lot of things. He was on the record talking about reparations, talking about um, a lot of radical things and. The powers that be, especially once he was dead and it was easier to change the message, kind of focus only on the conciliatory conciliatory aspects of what he spoke about. Like, for example, yeah. the I Have a Dream speech, and this is something that even I only found out just recently, that I Have a Dream part was just an almost an afterthought to the speech. He had given a whole speech with like a... Uh, clearly communicated like vision of justice or whatever. And then uh, Mahalia Jackson... At the end, uh, she's sitting behind him. She says, tell him about the about the dream, Martin. So he just heard her say that, and he just added that part at the end. Like, you know, uh, he's kind of like ad-lib that I have a dream part from. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, actually. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so, so he had a whole speech. They made that the name of the speech. He never called it I have a dream speech. I, did, I didn't know part, that. Yeah, that was the part that the, uh, funny. That the white establishment liked the most. So they yeah. so now we all call, we all call it that I have a dream speech and yeah he um he was very good at so what what major difference obviously is that MLK was a pretty strident anti imperialist um and this is the this is this is when he lost the New York Times crowd in sixty uh, with his you know famous speech at Riverside Church in sixty seven where he came out against the war and like and he was very adamantly opposed to the war and this is something that you're you know someone like Obama would never do. Um, you know, and I think it's largely because Obama's a conservative guy. Obama's not a left-wing guy. Um, he's a, he's a moderate conservative. Um, and you know, that's fine. And people always, you know, people always want to think that all African-Americans are leftists. And of course there are moderate conservative and conservative black people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's pretty funny to see to this day, uh, a lot of those Teacot types will still describe him as if he's like chairman Mao. This is, is very, no, it's hilarious. I, if again, I, if the democratic party was all like the tea party thought it was, we would all be, we wouldn't even be here right now. We'd be out partying. Um, the uh, but the thing is, I mean, there's a there's an interview MLK does in 1968 on the Mike Douglas show, which is like I think a really great example of how you like uh, anyone who talks about like rhetoric or arguing. It's like the number, it's the most important thing you can you can watch uh, because he completely fucking destroys these like two white chuds um, with his anti imperialist argument and like. I mean, I don't know. He just compl- he 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 does a classic owned by your own logic before I guess it became played out. Um, and it, and it, it was, he never really, re- he never really backed off on the, on the Vietnam thing. Cause he could have, he could have, he could have done what they wanted him to do, which was the, like, which is the, what the New York times kept, kept browbeating him to do, which is to sell out the Vietnamese people in the, because it would somehow help the, the black cause. And he never did that. And he said, black people should not go fight in this war. Why would we? Um, which at the time was incredibly subversive. And I, I think ultimately we got him killed, but, um, yeah, I agree. I agree. People don't really appreciate how uh, subversive that is. And it's kind of sad that even a lot of, uh, you know, middle class black people, when they describe what they like about Martin Luther King, that will never enter into the description because they get their narratives from white schools. So they pretty much will describe him the same way that 
white people focus on him, which is, you know, this idea that he just wanted white people and black people to hold hands and never mention each other's race, you know? Yeah, there, he, he was, he, you know, there's a cliche that he got more, you know, the cliche is that he got more radical later in his life. And I think that's true outwardly, but from all intents and purposes and some of the historians I've read is that he was always very radical. I think he just, um, I think as one, actually another reason of course was the rise of, of groups like the Black Panthers that he, he need, they needed to remain relevant. Because once yeah. once they achieved the civil rights goals of sixty four and sixty five, the economic goals, which of course were eighty percent of you know any kind of liberation struggle, like voting is important, it's great, but it's it's very you know it's not enough, right? And then the second they started asking for more than just a token vote, um, they started asking for things like jobs programs or, or you know I guess radical redistribution of wealth. Um, yeah, they, yeah. He also he also that. asked for uh, yeah he also asked for reparations too. He said we're, we're coming for our check. Yeah, well, yeah. Reparations was not a uh, was not really considered a fringe idea until like the eighties. It was actually pretty boilerplate, like left stuff. Uh, because it's yeah. you know, the, the argument for reparations is a fucking is a total no brainer. I mean, it's it's just it's a it's you could you could go it's a classic you know garnished wages lawsuit. Um, you know, you 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 effectively were working for free for four hundred years, and here's you know you can actually trace the money. And the book the book um, the book slavery slavery by another name I think makes I think the most compelling case for reparations because it's. It just shows it goes from A to B to C to D. There's a, there's a clear chain of custody because um, people think oh slavery that was a billion years ago and it's like well not really and here's you know here's how it worked and here's where the money went and then like and and the irony is that certain companies like even Coca Cola which use which use neo slavery which inherited a bunch of corporations that use neo slavery uh, they they paid back the ancestors and by neo slavery I'm talking about the the use of um, prisons uh, of of, of yeah, uh, debt peonage prisons uh, from yeah. the from the yeah just so people know um, and so you know. Uh, you know, reparations somehow became this weird radical fringe black militant thing, I think in the eighties. And uh, I, that's always surprised me because it's such a, it's such a moral chip shot for, as a cause. 